Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather, Lord, tonight. Father, you gave birth to the church when you died on the cross. And water and blood both came out of your body. Yeah. This is this is your church, Father. We are your bride, Scripture says. We're the object of your affection, we're the object of your love. You know, you get great joy out of people like us, both here and now and into eternity, Lord, you say you're going to receive us and you're going to love us. Uh, and we don't always look at ourselves that way, Lord, and it's not as if uh, I nor Scripture is trying to make us all, you know, filled with greater self-esteem, but Lord, we're worth what you paid, and you paid for us with your life. And you ascribe great worth to us as your as your creation. I pray you would open up your word, Lord, that we would understand it and we would grow in it, Lord, and that it would be more than information, Lord, but it would lead to our transformation. It would change everything about us, the way that we see other people, the way that we view ourselves, the way that we view this world and live and partake and participate in this world. Um, Father, just open our open our hearts to understand your will. And uh, because that's you. We want to understand you. We pray this in your precious name. So Luke 17, guys. Verse 20. He's going right along in Luke, and uh, it's, it's been awesome. Last week we ended two weeks ago, rather, and you thought last week, we ended with ten lepers uh, being cleansed, and only one coming back to thank Jesus for what he had done. Only one in ten. I mean, he said had a lifelong condition. Uh, I think this is a Seinfeld joke, but prognosis negative. Do you remember that Seinfeld? And, uh, and look, you know, the, uh, the outlook was dire. And only one out of ten that was healed. All ten were healed, but only one came back to worship, to glorify, to give thanks to God, he being a Samaritan. And, uh, you know, remember what Jesus said to that man, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you complete. Something way beyond just the physical realm was addressed in that man's heart that the other nine were not involved in. They got their physical healing and they went about their life and no doubt, you know, that was great in its own right. But one was experienced, uh, you know, the Greek word there, made whole, sozo, the full, uh, the fullness of God's blessing. Only one experienced that. And so continuing in verse 20, now when Jesus was asked, notice, by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Okay, this is uh, something he said, and just like we read, to the Pharisees. Pharisees come, and, you know, at times there were honest questions from some of these religious leaders. But in this case, and it, and it takes some careful reading, you really do have to unpack what, what the words are here, because it can kind of be confusing. At least I was confused. These Pharisees came, 
And when it says, when Jesus said that the kingdom of God does not come with observation, he's really talking, that word for observation means through hostile examination, through uh, like a cursory glance, just like a scoffing, like, you know, it's almost like they came up to Jesus and they said, this is the kingdom of God? Fishermen, nobody, harlots, throwaways, none of these people matter. You're small, you have no money, you have no influence, you're nothing. This is the kingdom of God, really? This is God's work on earth? It was kind of that attitude. And so, you know, it's, it's, that just has to get unpacked up front because then we can start to understand, you know, what were the, what, what kind of attitudes did these Pharisees come with? And it was just that. They came sneering. They came mocking. They, you know, I, I can't remember uh, exactly when or who said this, but during, I believe, the Middle Ages where, uh, the Catholic Church had incredible power and wealth. Uh, one of, and I could be wrong, whether it was a pope or a bishop or an archbishop or whatever, um, just incredible amounts of money compared to the common people, you know, the peasants, uh, you know, lay, the laity, they would say. And uh, one went on record and he said, no longer can the church say, and this, this comes out of Acts, I'll tell you the story in a second. No longer can the church say, silver and gold, we have none. Um, you guys remember in Acts, I think it was Peter and John were entering the temple, and they walked by a man who was lame, and uh, he's begging for money, and Peter says, silver and gold, you know, we don't have any silver or gold, but this I say to you, in the name of Christ Jesus, get up and walk. So this, this shows how much some of these religious leaders through the centuries knew of Jesus Christ, but he, he says no longer can we say, oh, silver and gold, we have none. I mean, that's the attitude of the Pharisees. Look at us. You know, we're, we're a big deal. We have everything. We have the respect. We have the power. We have the influence. We have all the money, you know, um, to which one of the uh, reformers, I believe, said to that pope or that Catholic official, he says, yeah, silver and gold, you might have silver and gold, but you cannot tell a man get up and walk in the name of Christ Jesus. That's that's long gone, you know. Um, and you know that's kind of the heart of these Pharisees. This is it. This is your kingdom. Come on. Any of you guys feel like that? As people look into your life and they say, "Oh yeah, you're you're a child of God." Why why do kids sit? Why do you have health problems? You know. Why are you rich? You know, why isn't everything perfect? Why isn't your family better, right? Why did your grandpa just die? You know, all, all of these things, and, and it and it can affect us. It can kind of it can kind of hurt. And Jesus said, you know, the kingdom of God doesn't come through this, you know, all, like taking this quick little look at the life of a girl. Oh yeah, mm, I'm not interested in that. It doesn't come through that kind of hostile examination. You know, and he goes on, he says, nor will they say, see here, or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. And within you, maybe in your margin, it says, the kingdom of God is in your midst. You know, what Jesus is saying is, you guys are coming, you're taking this cursory little glance at all of us rough people, you know, nobody's to you, and you're saying, geez, this is the kingdom of God? Boy. 
That's something. And Jesus says, and you might say, look there or see here. You know, come on, come this way, come that way. This isn't what you want. But he says, but the kingdom of God is within you. And I think it's better said, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Because where was the king? The king was right there. You know, they didn't understand the greatness, the worth of the king, and he was, in a sense, concealed to them in plain sight. He was right before their eyes, and they said, Boy, awesome kingdom. Why don't you go somewhere else, do something else? Anything would be better than this. And Jesus says, No, the kingdom of God is in your midst. The king is right here. So what was the Pharisees' problem? They didn't want him for a king. And they wanted their own kingdom. They wanted control. They wanted no accountability. They wanted what they wanted. You know, back in Mark chapter 20, Jesus talked about the mystery of the kingdom of God. You don't turn to uh, Mark chapter 20. Mark chapter 4. There is no Mark chapter 20. Um, Jesus talked about the mystery of the kingdom of God. He said to his disciples, You it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables. And then, you know, remember he explained the parable of the sower and the seed. And in verse 20 of chapter 4 in Mark, he said, you know, here really is the key to understanding. You know, he says, these are the ones, you know, the one, uh, the good seed that fell on good soil. Uh, he said, these are the ones sown on good ground, those who hear the word. That's step one. To not being like these guys. You hear the word. Step two, you accept it. And step three, you bear fruit. There's action. You respond to that. And now these Pharisees, they think, man, they were scoffers. They looked at him, just like people look at us, and they say, yeah, kingdom of God, huh? And it's hidden to their eyes. They don't. They can't fathom what God has done for us, how He's changed our lives. They don't. They don't understand. We try to tell them our testimony. We try to tell them who we were, and they're not interested. Some king of yours that can't even see him. You understand that there is a king, and he is returning. And right now, there's a usurper on the throne. There is the prince of the the power of of the of the air. There's the the ruler of this age. Scripture calls him. He's not the real king. And those who are part of his kingdom will scoff when you say, yeah, there is a true king, and I'm looking forward to his return. And so Jesus, he, he gets this, you know, these uh, questions about from the Pharisees. Ah, yeah, when is this kingdom you speak of coming? And he says, man, it's not coming to anybody with that kind of heart. And you can chase after it here or see there, but the kingdom that you really, really ought to pay attention to is right in your midst because Jesus, being the king, was right with them. I hope that makes sense, guys. Then he said to the disciples, notice a change from talking and communicating with the Pharisees to talking and communicating with the disciples. He said to the disciples, and this is very interesting to me, he said, the days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look here or look there, but do not go after them or follow them, for as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also 
the Son of Man will be in his day. All right, let's unpack that, guys. Again, some of this stuff, really, I mean, I'm just being honest, it's difficult to understand. Um, but let's dig in. He's talking to his disciples now, and he looks at them. Probably the Pharisees have gone off. They, they've seen that scoffing, he's never going to call them, what kind of kingdom is this attitude? And Jesus looks at his disciples, and really, this is for all disciples. This is not limited to the twelve. It's not limited to the twelve plus his entourage. This is for all disciples in every age at every time. And I want to start by saying this. We're going to talk about some end-time stuff. We're going to talk about the rapture. And why did Jesus say to his disciples, why did he say the days will come, you know, like the end will come, the days will come when you... I mean, I've always wondered, until last night, I think I got an answer, really from the Lord. Uh, and I was talking about this with my wife, and right as I was talking about it, it hit me. Jesus always said, like, when you see the abomination of desolation. He's like talking to people 2,000 years ago. And so at first glance, when we picked this up, we're like, oh, like, so what, were they supposed to live until we came back? Well, two things, and I, and I don't want to lose you here, but we have to remember that Jesus does not know the day or hour of his return. He said that. He said only the Father knows. The second reason he says to his disciples, when the end comes, you will, you will, you will, as if they will be there, is that scripture, especially Paul, all over the New Testament, tells us to live in a state of constant expectation that Jesus could come back right now. And Jesus, you know, not knowing the day or the hour, only the Father knows, and then wanting his disciples to live in a state of expectation, always says, when you see, when you experience, when you hear of rumors of, you know, rumors of wars, the nation rising in, when you, when you, when you. He didn't say when they, like, oh, 2,000 years from now, they are going to see this. He said when you. And that's the answer, at least for me, to that question. Why did he say you? He said to the disciples, the days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, one of the days of, of, of the return of Jesus, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look here, look there, but don't go after them or follow them. You know, what was he talking about? Well, he's talking about us, guys. He's talking about us because there are times, right, where we long for not here. Not in like we want to check out and quit, but we look around and we see sickness, we see death, we see, we see our own sinfulness, we struggle with temptation. There's people that we love that are just you know, an agony in rebellion against Jesus. You know, there's there's the, the governments and the politics and the wars and the famine, all this long in this world, and we long for the return of Jesus Christ. That's what it's talking about. That's what Jesus is saying. The days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man. Just one day, Lord, come quickly, please. Come back and fix this place, and you will not see it and helps me to understand it this way. I know it's not in the text, but we're not there yet. I don't know when that's coming, but we're not there yet. And so what is the world, when they hear us talk of an end, when they hear us talk of an apocalypse, the revealing of Jesus Christ, what do they say? They say, boy, you really are crazy. You're insane. You think this world is going to end? You think God is going to come back? 
Take you up? You're gonna you're gonna go away always to be with him? You're not gonna experience death like everybody else? Look, <laughs> you've been drinking Kool-Aid? You know, where are you getting that? And they'll say to you, oh, don't, look, don't think about Jesus coming back. No, look here, look there. Look, it's, it's 2020. In November, we're going to have somebody who will fix this mess, right? That's what the world thinks. What have we seen in past elections? Has that ever happened? Has that happened yet? You know? No, no, no. Come and you just need more education. You need to, you need to grow past your, your anti-intellectual, religious mumbo. You need to just grow up. And you'll, you'll bypass all this stuff. Look here. Look there. Ignore that stuff. Put that behind you. You know, that's just a opiate of the masses, right? To make you feel better. Make you, make life a little more bearable. But Jesus says, don't go after them or follow them. Look, and I know I'm not wrong, see, I don't need your agreement. But I look around, and the second I mention Jesus' return, man, people are just like, okay, right? But how often does this mention his return? I can count three times in the last chapter, Revelation 22, Jesus says, hey, you want to know something? I'm coming back, and I'm coming back quickly. To me, that is a promise to hold on to. Because I've been promised lots of things by lots of people in this world, and, I, and I've done the same to them. And look, that promises are great, but I, I want the sureness of my Savior's word. You know, who never changes, who never fails, who loves me for, for who I am, who's forgiven me. I, I'm going to hold on to that. And Jesus says, look, there are going to come days when you are just longing for the return. And the people around you will say, stop it. Come do this with us. Come look here. But don't go after them or follow them. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. They'll say, he ain't never coming back because he's not even real. You're crazy. But there will be a day where Jesus will show up and his appearance will be like lightning. You know, lightning strikes over there. And over here, we see the flash of light, and of course we hear the thunder too. I mean, the thunder does, you know, it takes time to travel. We all, we've all experienced this. But look, one flash of lightning lights up the whole sky. And what Jesus is saying is, you desire, you're longing for this thing. The world is saying, quit that. But when I come back, everybody's going to see that you were right. Everybody is going to know that I love you. Everybody's going to know that you were holding on and they were out doing whatever else. You know, the world pities us. They think we're fools. They think we are, you know, slaves to God. You know, we, 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 we live in this state of, oh, I can't do that. Oh, that looks like so much fun. You know, but, but I'm a Christian, so, you know. And it's not that way for me, to be honest, most of the time. But we are to live waiting for the return that is going to be obvious to everyone. Now, Jesus is going to talk about um, some things here. You do well to pay attention. He says, but first, the first step to this, you know, 
program, this heavenly program, is that, but first, he, Jesus, myself, he's talking, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. He's telling his guys so crystal clear, hey, the kingdom that you're looking for is not right here and now. Thank you, Lord. I needed to hear that. The kingdom that we are waiting for is coming. And we need to remember that. You know, he said that first he would suffer. He must suffer. Like it's not maybe. He must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So that's what he does first. So what's second? Second is he comes with great glory. You know, and we see that in Scripture so many times. First, there's suffering. First, there is mystery. There's not knowing. There's longing. You know, uh, like the Proverbs says, um, uh, what is it? Uh, I wrote it down. What did I write down? Oh, hope deferred. Like something you're longing for. It makes your heart sick. You're waiting for something. You're hoping for it. But it says that a desire fulfilled. When that promise comes, it's like a tree of life. Hope deferred. You're waiting for it. It's a long way off. But man, I feel like that. I don't know if you guys feel like that ever, but it feels a long way off. But Jesus is saying, look, when I come, everybody's going to see it. Everybody's going to know it. It does seem like a long way off. We're waiting. Waiting is hard. Longing is hard. He says, first, he will suffer and be rejected by this generation. Second, he will be received in glory. He will come in great glory to that generation. You know, still future. He's breaking some things down for his uh, his disciples who, you know, the best they can come up with is just that, you know, Israel would be free again, Rome would be gone, and Herod would be disposed of, you know. But God can do so much better than that. I think we can relate to that. We hope for things, and God's like, mm-hmm, no, that's not good enough. I've got something better than what you can imagine or even think. Exceedingly, abundantly better than that. And that's what I'm going to bring to pass. So then he goes on and he describes, he's going to describe this, first he must suffer, but second, uh, he's going to come in, in great glory, and he's describing what that will be like. He says, and as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man, in the days of his return. They ate, people ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. And likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, and they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So, understand that there's some different perspectives on these verses, guys. I'm just going to clear mine, you know. Um, what Jesus compares the return, you know, his return to, the state of things on the earth will be like the state of things during the days of Noah and during the days of Lot. So, what do we know about the days of Noah? There's two parts to this answer, right? During the days of Noah, it said that every thought, every imagination, every intent of every man was wicked all the time. So, 
It was incredibly evil, and that's why God judged the earth with a flood. In Sodom and Gomorrah, and not to do the whole backstory, but the same thing was generally true. They were wicked places, um, and they were they were filled with people that had rejected the truth of God and pursued this world with their whole heart, and they were it was just an evil, evil place. Jesus, however, is not so much highlighting the fact that they were so far gone, uh, although I think that's part of his point. What he says is that in the days of Noah, people were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying wives, they were giving in marriage. Uh, you know, in the days of Lot, they were eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. Are those evil things? No. Those are normal things. Even though the day was, the day in which they all lived was incredibly evil, they were doing the normal things that people do. They weren't expecting the judgment that came. They weren't expecting it. They had been warned. Noah preached for 120 years. He was a preacher of righteousness. You know, God sent angels into Sodom, you know, and, and Abraham, of course, petitioned, pled with God that if, if he even found ten righteous men, it was ten or five, can't remember, that he would spare the city, and God agreed to that. But even angels who made, you know, perverse men blind, that, that didn't affect, you know, many in, in Sodom. And so, you know, we see these two things. People are just going to be living in a messed up, horrible, perverted world, and yet, normal things, normal life things will just be going on, and that is when Jesus is coming back. That's when he will return. It will be all of a sudden. Now, I've got to say this, too. We read in other places in Scripture where it talks of Jesus' return, and it's like it's like talking about a cataclysmic, like everybody will see him, every, you know. It's like, how can these be the same, you know, Jesus returning seems like, you know, this cataclysmic event, and then it also seems like, you know, he's, he's just, just like um, during normal times. Like, how can we reconcile the two, right? People are living normally. The whole world is an uproar. Well, Understand that he's coming for his church, and then judgment starts, and then he's coming back. We're reading about it in Revelation right now in chapter 19:20. He's coming with his church in, in final judgment. So there's really two phases to his return. There's the coming for his bride, the honeymoon, and then the public uh, you know, revelation or the revealing of his bride where he comes and, fi and finally judges the earth, or in finality judges the earth. There's been judgment all those seven years through the tribulation. But I don't want to get too sidetracked there. Jesus says very normal things will be going on when the Son of Man returns. And he says, even so it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. He says, remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Now again, I mentioned perspective, and, and here is mine. You know, Jesus is talking to his disciples here who are, who are, you know, if it's the 12, they're all Jewish. 
And he's talking, I believe, about a day when, you know, Jesus comes and takes the church. There will be a period of three and a half years of, of peace, uh, you know, given a, a, a covenant brought into being by the Antichrist with the nation of Israel. They'll have sacrifice restored. The temple will be back. And three and a half years through the last seven years, the Antichrist, you know, this, this, you know, this, this, this incredible world leader will betray Israel and he'll surround Israel and there's this point where the Jews will realize they've betrayed. They'll realize that the Antichrist is not their Messiah. He's not who he says he is and they will have to flee. That's what I think Jesus is talking about. He says if you're on the housetop and you realize that, you know, this is what's going on, get out. Run for your life. And of course, we read in Revelation, I believe, 12, that God is going to preserve Israel. Those that run and those that leave and those that come to him. He's going to preserve them supernaturally. You know, so, uh, you know, some clues there. Why? How do we know he's talking to Jews? You know, they, they have patios on their roofs. I don't hang out on my roof. You hang out on your roof. Unless you have a... And in the Middle East, that's very common. He's talking to Jews here. He's saying... In, in this time period, in this season, he says they, and that's confusing. Let's stop for a second. I know, you know, this is, this is not a sideshow. This is, uh, when, when we read about the day of the Lord, understand that, you know, the, that day spoken of in Scripture, especially in Isaiah, uh, Isaiah I believe, 61, that day is not just literal one day. It's a short period of time, and it encompasses these two returns. So that can be very confusing. Um, and, I, and I can, you know, very quickly, not prove it to you, but just share my perspective. You know, in Isaiah 61, Jesus is talking about he's come to the Lord to proclaim liberty to the captives, opening in the prison to those who are blind. And then he says, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. Well, I don't know if you've been telling, but since Jesus came, there's been like 2,000 years of grace. Like, that's more than just one year of what he said, one year of the acceptable year of the Lord, that year of grace that anybody that whoever believes in him would not, you know, you know, perish, but have eternal life. That's 2,000 years, so that's longer than one year, right? So the day of his vengeance is longer than one literal day. That's not hard for me to understand. You know, there's still a little bit of symbolism there, I get it. But, you know, just understand, as we're reading in Luke, you know, it can be kind of confusing. This day, this day, this day, you know, three and a half years through this end time, you know, through these last seven, the Jews are forced to run for their lives, and that's what he's talking about. And he says, you know, when you when that happens, remember Lot's wife. You know, Lot, when the angels came and they warned to get out of Sodom, Lot took off, and his wife came with him, and his... Um, what is two daughters-in-law? Or were they no, it's two daughters. The sons-in-law didn't come. I'm supposing on these details. Sorry, guys. And uh, you know, but Lot's wife, she lingered, she was told by the angel, they were all told, don't even look back. And there was something in a Lot's wife's heart that just said, But but I want that. And uh, before we go hard on Lot's wife, man, let's let's just acknowledge that. I don't know if you came out of the world, there are still things. Just like Jesus said, you know, you long to see the day of the Son of Man, like, returning. But people would be like, hey, look at this, or look at that. Look, there's things that still appeal to us back in that old life. 
See, that's why Jesus is saying this. Be careful. Because there's an appeal in the world back there. But we're not, we're not to turn back and linger and long for it. We're to press on. And sometimes that's hard. Sometimes we expect just like, oh, that doesn't even appeal to me anymore. No part of it. You know, I love what Joe Fong says. He says, you know, nobody is tempted to chew on broken glass. It's just not that way. way. You know, we're tempted by things that appeal to us. And this world has, man, it tries to think it's, you know, peace in us all the time. But don't fall for it. He says, remember Lot's wife. And particularly to these, you know, Jews in that day, you know, you, you see the Antichrist's army surrounding Jerusalem and breaking the streets. Just get out, run for it. Just go. And don't look back. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. You know, you have a clear-cut choice. Leave everything behind and just get out. Because your soul is more important than anything in yourself. And, and I mean, we've probably all heard that a hundred times. But how hard is it? You know, people are consumed with the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches, and they think that it's going to, like, make them happy. But it doesn't. And we can testify to that, can't we? Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will save it. And Jesus goes on and says, I tell you, in that night, there will be two men in one bed, or two people in one bed. The one will be taken, and the other will be left. And two will be grinding together, grinding grain. Two women will be grinding grain together. The one will be taken, and the other left. And two men will be in the field, and one will be taken, and the other left. Now, okay, again, a lot of people have a lot, a lot to say. I give you the two kind of predominant thoughts. Taken how? Like taken, it's a good kind of taken? Like removed, like like raptured, like pulled away, you know, like the bride picked up and carried off? Or is it taken in judgment? To be honest, I could see it being either way. I'm not sure. Here's, here's my perspective, though, right? I, I like what this says. It says in that night, you know, I do know... I'm stealing somebody's jokes, but I do know the hour that Jesus is coming back. It's going to be 11 o'clock somewhere around this world, right? It's going to be 11 p.m. somewhere, somewhere in the world, because it's winter time zone. Come on. All right. So, but I love how accurate Scripture is because it talks, if this is the rapture, if it's taken away, like taken, removed, just like Noah was taken onto the ark and the Lord shut the door, just like Lot was taken out of the city and then judgment came on those that remained. If it's that sense, right, then listen to what it says. It says, at night, you know, people will be sleeping at night, people will be working, grinding grain, and some will be out in the field. Nobody's, nobody's out in the field at night. You know, it shows that there's an event coming that will happen in an instant all the way around the world, like lightning, Jesus said. You know, it shows from one side of heaven to the other. And it's just going to go, you know, someplace it's going to be the middle of the night. Here it might be the middle of the day, right? And just the accuracy of Scripture is amazing. You know, um, even for them to understand in that day of, of time zones and all of that stuff, you know. Um, and there's this dividing line, you know, there will be, even within a family, even between, say, a husband and a wife, there will be some, there will be some couples that, you know, the wife is taken, but the husband stays behind. The, the, the husband is taken, but the wife stays behind. 
This is the reality that some of us, we live in families like that, where there is that division between believer and unbeliever. Whether this is judgment or taking in the rest, I'm not exactly sure. I, I tend, I used to think judgment, now I tend to think after. I'm not exactly sure. But listen to what Jesus says in conclusion. You know, the disciples, they hear this, you know, two, you know, two in a bed, one will be taken, one left behind. Two in the grinding grain, one will be taken, one left behind. Two in a field, one will be taken, one left behind. The disciples, I mean, this is like, this is incredible. They're like, what, what where? Where is this going to happen? Everywhere? You know, they answered and they said to him, Where, Lord? So Jesus said to him, and this is one of the most cryptic verses in the Bible, sorry, and I'll give you my take, but feel free to have yours. They say, Where, Lord? And Jesus says, Wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Oh, thanks, Jesus. You really helped us. You know, like, dig into that. You know, what does it mean? Well, I know from another gospel that where he says body, it means carcass. Wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Eagles, could they be vultures? Vultures gather around something that's decaying? I, I think what Jesus is saying is he's saying, hey, wherever it's decaying, wherever things are falling apart, wherever this world is breaking, which is everywhere, man, the end's going to come. This day is going to come. When you see a carcass, you look up, you see vultures circling, right? When we look around at this world, we should kind of think the same thing. Boy, the end is coming. This world is, this world is dying. And then, then things flying around, they're just waiting, waiting for the moment that that thing does not have enough strength to fight off, you know, a predator or a scavenger, I'm sorry. And those birds are going to come down and they're going to have their feast, like we read about in Revelation, what was it, 19? The Great Supper of the Lord. Not the Marriage Supper, the Great Supper. That's kind of my taste. I want to go a little farther just because this is the same, you know, conversation. You know, imagine if you're those guys and you're thinking, man, I thought Jesus was going to free us from Rome. And he's telling us all of this craziness is coming. He's telling us this world is going downhill. He's not going to just fix this world. He's going to replace it. All of this stuff. These guys, suddenly, I think they're kind of hit with the seriousness of God's coming back. Some will be left and some will be taken, whether that's judgment or rapture. There's a dividing line, and they're suddenly like, I want to be on the right side of that line. And there's this concern and this anxiety and this, like, we know who we are, don't we? How often do you guys fail? <laughs> Every day? Man, I hope so, because that's, then you'd be in my camp. You'd be in my camp, needing the forgiveness and grace and mercy of God all the time. And there is this, you know, as we think about the seriousness of his return and judgment, there's like, oh, what if I don't make it? And so Jesus addresses this. He says, you know, um, he, he spoke a parable to them and that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Look, when things are hard down here, when we're longing for that kingdom, when we're afraid we're not going to make it, what, do, what should we do? We should pray. We should talk to him. We should pray like with this open, reading it, looking at it. We should pray and not lose heart. And Jesus told them this story, and we'll be fast about it because we've gone kind of long, guys. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. And, and he was saying there was in a certain city a 
judge who did not fear God nor regard man. He didn't care about God. He didn't care about people. But he was a judge in a position of power um, and judgment. And now there was a widow in that city. And she came to him saying, get justice for me for my adversary. Understand that in that day, if you lost your husband, you were like a prime target for anybody looking to rip you off, steal your inheritance, steal your stuff, take your home. And I just didn't care. You know, people didn't care back then. They didn't have the protection of a husband anymore. That was the day and age they lived in. And this widow goes to the judge and says, this guy is after me. He wants to destroy me. He is my adversary. He wants to, he wants to take everything from me. And it wasn't right. Uh, that's the sense. It wasn't right. And she goes to this judge and says, help me out, please. The judge doesn't care. Why? Because he doesn't care about God and he doesn't care about people. And he would not help her for a while, but afterward he said, within himself, he said to himself, man, I don't fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her. I'll help her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. So what is God saying? That we should always be like, oh, God, come on, you know, and he doesn't care, he doesn't really care about us, he really doesn't care, you know, to help us. No, God is, God, Jesus is actually contrasting, he says, you can imagine this kind of situation, a widow and need, you know, going to a judge, judge doesn't, you know, give a crap, you know, he just, but finally he gives in just because she's bugging him so much. Jesus is then going to contrast how God is, how he is. He says, you know, the Lord said, Jesus said, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God, here's how God is, here's the contrast, guys, and shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears wrong with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. You know, God understands our weaknesses. That's what Hebrews says. And it's hard to fathom. But when I think about Jesus' physical life and his physical death and what he endured and what he went through down here, when I have my Bible open, I'm considering these things, it helps me to remember that he understands our weaknesses. He understands that longing as we're suffering, as we're persecuted, as we're confused, as we're struggling for a future kingdom that is coming. He understands that we are going to be mistreated, persecuted, and hurt in this world. And God says, hey, you don't worry about avenging yourself. I will come. That judge didn't care about the woman, but I do care about you, and I am long-suffering, but there's a day that is going to come when I am going to avenge those who have hurt you and mistreated you, you know, where he's going to respond to his people who cry out day and night to him. But then the end of verse 8, or the end of our study, Jesus says, you know, I tell you, God is going to come back and he will avenge them speedily. He is coming. But he says this, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, when Jesus returns, will he really find faith on the earth? Is he really going to find us saying, 
Come, Lord Jesus, come. Your kingdom, your will. I will I'll suffer, Lord. I will be confused. I will I will hurt. I will be mistreated. It's it's all okay. It's not okay. It's, it's part of his program. It's part of his plan. It's going to happen. But you are coming, and I will leave the vengeance. I'll leave the justice. I'll leave the sorting it all out to you. I trust you enough to just long for that day and wait for it and bear fruit for it. Look ahead to it. Will he find faith? Will he really find faith when he comes back and he looks at my life? That's the question that I can't answer for you and you can't answer for me. Will the Lord find faith? Will he find that kind of trust and hope and, 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 and conviction that, that he is returning and it's his kingdom that needs to be established and not our own, you know, toothpick kingdom, toothpicks and straws and marshmallows, little thing that we got to build, you know? Will we find faith when he comes back? Where will he find us? What are we holding on to, guys? Something that is going to disappear? Or a kingdom that cannot be shaken? Now, I, I think he gave his disciples a lot to think about. I think he's given us a lot to think about. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, and I pray that each person that's here would, would take these things and alone or with a spouse or even with a kid today and you begin to unwrap that question that you asked the disciples. You didn't say it to be antagonistic or to try to guilt trip anybody. You just said when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Man, I know you'll find some. Lord. What about me? What about us? That's something we've got to recognize. Lord, so I, I would pray that you would bless us Lord, this week, Lord, that we would latch on you and your promises and your word, and, and in particular the promise of your return. Lord, we pray these things in your precious name. Amen. Hey, grace and peace, guys.